Hey, this is Lori from Hike, sharing stories that inspire us to explore, wander, and live. So in this episode, I take you back to the Oregon Desert Trail. In season one, episode 19, which I released on March 27th, 2019, I interviewed Renee Patrick of the Oregon Natural Desert Association, also known as ONDA, about the Oregon Desert Trail. I knew it was a trail I wanted to revisit, and I am so excited to be able to bring you the first person who ever completed a traverse of it, Sage Clegg. A little bit about Sage. She's a wildlife biologist, outdoor educator, and thru-hiker. In 2008, she started her love of thru-hiking on the Grand Enchantment Trail, and that set her in motion to the Triple Crown. In 2010, Sage completed the Triple Crown in just 18 months. She's dreamed up routes like the Jaffe Rider in California, and in the summer of 13, it's no surprise that Sage teamed up with the Oregon Natural Desert Association to hike their new route across eastern Oregon called the Oregon Desert Trail. You'll find a video on YouTube that documents her experience and the knowledge she gained and documented has helped so many other hikers do their own hikes on the ODT. Sage and I chat about the beauty there is in navigation, navigating wild spaces and the power that a simple map has in changing our lives. So take a listen to my conversation with Sage. So I'm here with Sage Clegg. Hey, Sage, how are you? Pretty good. How are you doing, Lori? I'm doing pretty good here, confined to my house. But um, but yeah, I'm doing pretty good um, considering the circumstances. Totally. It'll yeah. be nice when we can start going outside again. <laughs> I know. Um, the weather is finally turning. I live in Michigan and the weather's finally turning. Um, I think today it might be almost 70 um, and yeah, I'm looking at my window right now and just seeing, you know, the sunshine and blue sky. And I, I think I might get out to a, a local kind of park where we can get out and, you know, walk and stuff. So, so still doing that. Cool. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to getting out and hopefully doing a little stroll on the river trail today. It's supposed to be in the 70s as well, which is crazy. And, 70. <laughs> and so you're in um, Oregon, right? Yep. Yeah, I live in Bend, Oregon. Oh, I've never been to Bend, but that's that's definitely on my wish list. It's pretty nice. It's the dry side of Oregon, so you have to erase all the images of rain and green and stuff. And over here, it's, we're in the rain shadow of the Cascades, and so it's nice and dry and lots of sunshine and, yeah, lots of sagebrush. So I feel right at home. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we're going to talk about... Um about the Oregon Desert Trail today with you. So I'm excited to, to learn more about that. Um, but first, before we get into that, I would like just to know more about your hiking background because I had read um, that you um, were the first woman to complete the Triple Crown. I mean, like... Not, not the first person to... Not the first woman to complete it, but okay. I hiked it in 18 months. Okay, so like so the first woman to do the, it, like, like at that point, it was like the fastest known time to do it for for a woman. Yeah, okay. Like there had been 
four or five guys who had hiked it in a calendar or a 12-month period, but um, I just wound up kind of accidentally hiking it in 18 months. I love that. I love that it was just an accident. Like, well, I didn't mean to do this record, but I held it. Yeah, basically by the time I was like, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail first, and then I hiked the Apple or the Continental Divide Trail, and about somewhere like partway through the Continental Divide Trail, I realized like, oh, you know, I might have time to go hike the Appalachian Trail after this, and then I could just be done with it because I'm in good hiking shape, and I'm I was not quite sure how. I was going to like the AT. I was pretty skeptical about the crowds and it just uh-huh. sounded like a claustrophobic trail to me. But I, so I decided that if I had the momentum, I might as well just keep going and get the trail that I was kind of like dreading out of the way. And, and then by the time I got on that Appalachian trail, I was like, Oh, <laughs> if I finish this on my scheduled time by Christmas, I'll have done it in a year and a half. <laughs> and that's interesting so. that you mentioned that because most people, I mean, I guess the traditional people do, you know, the AT first and then they'll do the PCT and then you hear of them, okay, finally tackling the CDT and you went for PCT, CDT, then AT. Yeah. Yeah. And I went southbound on the Pacific Crest Trail. Okay. And, so that's and, how it, the timing kind of worked out because uh, I, I couldn't start, I was, really busy in the spring of 2009 and I couldn't start the trail going northbound or yeah going like the traditional northbound direction so I wound up waiting and starting in July and uh and then hiked southbound during for for the PCT and I think that experience really gave me like a sense of that I really like solitude a lot and that trail was very lonely for me because the year that I hiked it, I think there was 12 of us that hiked southbound. So it was pretty quiet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, the PCT, yeah, I was going to ask that because um, you said you did it, was it in 2009? You said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 2009. So that was before like the wild, you know, effect and kind of uh, all uh, kind of more people, I think, getting out there. So it seems like it, it would have been a, a, just a different experience. Yeah, it was back in the day when, you know, there was like 300 people going northbound on the PCT. And the AT was the heavily trafficked trail with about 2,000 or so at the time that I was hiking. And the CDT really hardly, it just, it had less than 200 people on it a year. I think the year that I hiked it in 2010 there's probably about like 120 of us or so something like that so when you finally got to the AT did you did you do it solo or were you hiking with um with others I I I really have only hiked with another person a little bit okay (laughs) like I had and so all my hikes I started and finished solo and occasionally would get to like meet up with with somebody and uh and hike for a little bit like on the cdt i got to hike for i think it was almost 20 days with with my friend peter from my time at outward bound and he was hiking the trail the same summer as me so we got to like walk together for a bit and that was really cool to have another person around (laughs) for 
for a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I think I enjoy the solo piece of things as well. So I think if I were to do a long trail uh, hike, it would probably be the same. I would do it um, solo. Yeah, I I think it. I mean, for me, it worked out really well to be by myself, and I just I really liked the the like how I could control every little thing about my day except for the you know the world mm-hmm. <laughs> just like things that just happen like and the weather okay it's raining yeah, yeah. or weather, like yeah. oh that hitch didn't happen or you know but I didn't I just it was really good for me to like be able to separate out my disappointments and my accomplishments and and see what I could own in that and um like I had before I started through hiking I had worked for uh, over a decade leading trips um like backpacking and canoeing trips mostly for Outward Bound and some other organizations and I had just been I don't it was really hard for me to tell what was what I was doing for myself anymore because I was always just giving to other people and teaching other people and helping them have wonderful experiences outside. And I, I didn't know, like, I just wanted to see what my wonderful experience outside could be or what it felt like to just be on my own and not be responsible for other people. And I think through hiking by myself for all the whole triple crown was really satisfying in that regard. Like it, it gave me that perspective of what it's like to be by myself and what I can do. And if I wanted to go really far in a day, I could. And if I wanted to take a chill day and sit by a lake, I could. And I didn't have to have that conversation and process things with other people. So on the AT, were you, um, cause you know, that is the most social, I guess, of the trails. Were you staying in, hostels um were you kind of staying in in the shelters with a bunch of other people or were you setting up kind of camp on your own I was just curious yeah my my AT experience was so I started on the 14th of September at Katahdin and okay so you did a southbound yeah I did a southbound winter like fall winter hike and so it was it wound up being a pretty lonesome trail. <laughs> oh me. yeah, I definitely Which, during that time frame. Yeah, it was it was pretty wild. And but when I started, like the first two weeks, I was I was so overwhelmed. Like I just come off of the Continental Divide Trail where yeah, I had like I did have you know I would run into other hikers and see other people here and there, and but I wasn't really hiking with anybody at the end of my into my hike and the press of people is so much less in Montana than it is in Maine. Well, and <laughs> at you're, least in September. And you're, yeah, because you're coming southbound and then everyone's rushing, you know, trying to get to Katahdin before weather sets in. So yeah. I can imagine you kind of setting off and then kind of all these people kind of coming at you. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty wild. And it, wow. but it was also a really neat experience. Like as culture shocked as I was Uh coming from the wild open west to the like for me when I first started the AT it felt so claustrophobic I mean there was the people factor there was the like 
trees everywhere and then I'd it was by far the hardest trail like <laughs> it was so terrain wise mm-hmm. and starting in Maine like I went from like have averaging like 25 miles a day to like barely being able to get like 17 miles in and it was so frustrating I was like holy crap this trail is really hard <laughs> and I was starving because I thought I was like you know at my plateau for car for like mm-hmm. calorie intake and then I started walking in Maine and was like oh <laughs> I mean, this, yeah this trail has a different caloric requirement <laughs> than the continental divide so and- yeah. So were you, um, so did you run into, cause you started, you said in September, um, yeah. how long did it take you to it get to Springer? Me, I finished on the 24th of December. Okay. So did so you run into bad like weather? hundred and something days. Yeah. Yeah. By the end I got snowed off the trail a couple of times and had to get really creative so purists would definitely consider my hike of the AT not complete because I I got snowed out of like the higher peaks of the Smokies it there was a crazy storm that came in and I wound up I always carry um atlas pages and other maps this is before I didn't even have like a cell phone that I could look at maps on that didn't really exist for me at least there was no gut hook back then no (laughs) (laughs) so I carried paper maps with atlas pages and so I could reroute when I needed to and that for me is one of the most entertaining and engaging parts of my through hikes is being able to look at the whole corridor beside the trail and come up with my own way of walking it and uh, it just helps me feel much more free and yeah. adds a lot of fun to to my hikes. And when my safety is at risk and I want to stay alive, I'm not going to go hike through, you know, the highest peaks of the Smokies with four feet of snow on the ground. And so instead I found some really awesome trails that go around lower on the, I think it was on the west side of the Smokies. And so I, you know, so I, I had to do a lot of that. Like I, I wound up having a, a good bit of weather. And then once I got into Georgia, things calmed down a little bit, but Tennessee was, Tennessee was pretty intense weather wise for me. And, uh, and it's just kind of steep, rugged trail terrain. So there was, there was definitely some parts where I had to reroute and, and stay safe and stay lower. So I mean, you bring up a couple, I think, of good kind of things to think about. One is also just understanding navigation and how navigation is really essential as, you know, part of hiking. And I think sometimes in this day and age, we lose that um, kind of reliance on, uh, you know, apps or, you know, kind of the digital information versus knowing how to really change your route when you need to. Yeah. Well, and that for me, like, I taught navigation to my students for so long and looking at a map and using a compass and just having that sense of connection with my place on the planet is really, that is one of the huge reasons of what, what draws me outside. And I just love that sense of connection and that feeling of being able to figure it out and know, know where I'm going with this. 
and uh, yeah, and people have told me that, you know the AT you don't even need maps and mm-hmm. there's blazes everywhere <laughs> and uh, when you hike southbound in the winter and it's snowing, it's quite hard to find those blazes. So I I found myself very happily having to navigate quite a bit and figure out where I was on the AT, which was a pleasant surprise. I wasn't expecting to have to use my navigation mind as much as I did. And yeah, so you make it through the AT um, and then you, you know, completed the the triple crown. And then uh, that was in, in 2011. It was, I finished on Christmas Eve of 2010. 2010. Okay. 2010. So yeah. So Christmas, oh, Christmas Eve. How cool. Yeah. My grandparents, my, so my mom grew up in Georgia and in Atlanta and my grandparents retired out to the Northern Georgia mountains when, when they were done with working. And so the whole time I didn't know the East coast very well at all during my AT journey. And I felt like I was walking towards the place that I knew and (laughs) kind of home. I mean, my home is the West coast, but my grandparents were part of my home because they're my people. And so I was walking towards my people the whole time and just getting to like walk towards this Christmas celebration and, yeah, it was it was really cool. It, it definitely kept me going to be able to like walk towards the familiar. And you made it just in time for Christmas, so yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure all your family was happy about that. <laughs> Sage is uh, wrapped under the tree for Christmas. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, pretty much. You might have brought a few pines with you and, and pine needles along the way, but. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely yeah. showed up dirty and stinky and ready for a lot of food. <laughs> kind of a perfect Christmas guest, if you can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything they put in front of me, I, it was the best meal ever. Your, yeah, your grandma was like, this is perfect, finally. Someone's just eating what I put out there. No complaints. <laughs> so, so, and, you know, something I also picked up on, um, because you were talking about the navigation and, and pieces like that. So kind of let's take me to now um, kind of going back to Oregon and looking at the, um, the Oregon desert trail. And uh, cause that is a lot of, of navigation and route finding. And, um, and how did you get involved with uh, you know, that whole trail system and, and being, you know, I think, were you one of the, were you the first or one of the first to actually do the end-to-end? Yeah, I was the first person to through-hike the Oregon Desert Trail. And, uh, but my friend Jeremy Fox, he, um, he got hired by Oregon Natural Desert Association on to, I forget what year he started. It might have been 2011. Um, they hired him to go out and kind of ground truth parts of the trail idea that Brent Finke, the former director of Onda, um, he had this vision of this trail and he really wanted to make it happen, but he was very busy directing this nonprofit. And so he hired Jeremy to go out and, and check this trail out. And, uh, 
at the same time as Jeremy started doing that trail checking out, I was busy meeting my now husband and um, moving to Bend. And my my husband my husband already lived up in Bend, and uh, so I was moving to a new home and. Um, we went to a barbecue with our friend Jeremy and he was talking about this Oregon desert trail. And I was like, huh, I would like to hike that. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, well, maybe we could figure something out. And it's not ready to be hiked yet. And, and then a couple of years later it came together and turned out that I was the person that they wanted to work with on, on hiking, hiking it. Yeah, I actually I saw there's a YouTube video that they had put out, I think that that kind of it's just like under 10 minutes. So it's a, a short one, but it covers your journey. Kind of. Yeah. And I thought yeah, that, was, really so that cool. was part of it was a pretty interesting experience. Like I had all my hikes had been <laughs> mostly by myself. Mm-hmm. And there hadn't like I got especially during my Triple Crown hikes, there wasn't social media to be concerned with really and and then I hiked the Oregon Desert Trail and they one of the like I don't know like parts of the agreement with them like sharing maps and the route with me was that I would film myself with the GoPro that they would provide and um, meet up with a film crew a couple of times during my hike and basically be in contact with their social media person. And so it was a lot more coordinated effort than I had ever had to like throw into a hike. And so that was a big part of the Oregon desert trail for me was learning how to communicate with a communications director and a film crew. And like, what is it like to sit there and talk to a GoPro? (laughs) (laughs) stuff like that it was really weird I still haven't (laughs) figured that out I mean I might talk to my yeah it's like uh. (laughs) but um but first I guess let's maybe do an overview of what um what the Oregon Desert Trail is like we're what which you know where are the terminus uh from each point and kind of just the overview of of kind of what kind of terrain it goes through yeah it it's really a it's a pretty fun trail. Um, it starts just outside of Bend. So for me, I guess how I hike <laughs> is making my hike my own hike. And I saw that it started 15 miles from my house. And I was like, well, why shouldn't it just start at my house? <laughs> so my journey started at my door and went from my home in Bend. I started out on a bike and I rode my bike to the Badlands and just just to the east side of, of, of Bend. And uh, so I rode out there and Badlands is a wilderness. So I left my bike and my husband shuttled it around for me to the other side of the, of the wilderness. And, um, and I started my hike. There was like a film crew there and news people. And it was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> So that's where the trail starts is out on the, in the Badlands. And, um, it goes for, I guess they've decided that it's 750 ish miles, um, out to 
this reservoir in eastern Oregon. So it traverses the whole southeastern stretch of, of the state of Oregon. And it goes through a handful of different mountain ranges and um, through some really big chunks of open, nice and intact desert. And yeah, it, it weaves its way through. Um, it has like a very snaky shape. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like that to connect the dots of all these wilderness study areas um, that hopefully someday will become wilderness. And the whole hope of the trail is to just highlight these wild places in eastern Oregon. And and I think that was one of the things I took away from, from watching you too, that it was basically you were in wild places, but they weren't a very small percent was actually protected as, as wilderness areas. Yeah. And honestly, my trip of on the, my time on the ODT threw me into kind of a wilderness crisis. I don't know if you really want to get into it here, with <laughs> me, but, <laughs> but all that time. And I guess I'd always thought that wilderness was just this awesome, like, I'd never even questioned it. I would yeah. always, I'd just wandered into wilderness areas in the Sierras and always felt like I had like found some kind of sanctuary and was so thankful for this legislation that protected this place in this way. And then on the Oregon Desert Trail, I, I really started to feel like, you know, why are some wild places wrapped up with this crazy, like, super strict wilderness and then protection and other places like we just leave out to, you know, to chance really. But yeah, it it also felt like, I I don't know, like some of those places didn't necessarily need to be wilderness. They Mm -hmm. need protection. I'm definitely not saying they don't need protection, but I mean, does it need to be designated as, as wilderness areas? Um, cause yeah. there is a lot, I mean, I know in those areas, there are some restrictions. Like, I think you can even like, if you wanted to bike it, you couldn't bike it. Right. No. Yeah. yeah you cannot bike. Yeah. You can't even like commercial users cannot use a screwdriver. Like a, yes. they can't use screws. <laughs> so <laughs> like for trail maintenance. Battery powered drill. Yeah. Like, yeah. You have to get permission to like, for all kinds of things. And it, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm all for regulations that kind of slow people down a little bit and make mm-hmm. us have to really think things through before we just build something someplace. But yeah, in this era with our current administration and the current crisis against our public lands, I feel like my, the way, the way that I, I think I would feel very differently if I had if I was on the Oregon Desert Trail right now. But at that time when I hiked it in 2013, I came away from from that trail feeling like protection is good, but the Wilderness Act is, is from a different era and mm-hmm. it doesn't take into consideration other forms of moving through wild spaces. Like you could take a stock train of 15 animals through a wilderness, but you can't take a bike. And I don't know, like there, there's these little things that, that, 
yeah, the the little compromises, but I don't want to have to like right now. I don't know if it, it's not really the time or the yeah. moment politically yeah. to to be even having this conversation. But at the same time, for me, when I was walking that trail, that was a huge part of what was going through my mind and like. How do we treat our land? How do we protect it? How do we interact it, with it? And how do we make sure there's space for humans to be able to witness these places? And I think that was a big part of it for me was water is so scarce along the Oregon Desert Trail. And if it was wilderness, there would be whole chunks that humans would not be able to access at all for research for recreation for anything because you wouldn't be able to physically get there with the water sources that you have so yeah tell me um i guess let's talk about the the water along the trail so and and i think when i watched the video um you were showing even just the water caches and and things like it it's not um it's not something, I mean, you have to manage it, right? You have to really know how you're going to manage your water on this type of hike. Yes. Yeah. And for me, what I think, I think Renee has been able to um, establish and find like more water sources and Mm -hmm. kind of connect the dots and like has suggested places for caches and stuff. But when I hiked it, that does, that didn't exist yet. And I had, some recommendations of and suggestions of like where a spring that they saw during a high water year was still running and things like that. Um, so I was piecing together my whole hike and water was certainly the biggest part of it. Like I had a 90 mile waterless stretch that I had to figure out how to negotiate and um, which I don't think exists on the trail anymore. I think, I think it, the route has been changed enough now that the 90 mile stretch is not, is not a thing, but I had to come up with a cash plan and just like a bailout plan too. Like what if I got to a cash and it wasn't there anymore and how would I stay alive? Like what, what would my plan be? So at that point, I guess uh, you did this, uh, this was 2015 or 2016. When? Uh, it was 2013 was my ODT hike. Oh, 2013. Okay. Yeah. So were you carrying, um, like an emergency beacon? How, what was your, like you were talking about a bailout plan. So I, I'm sure throughout the majority of that area, there's no cell service. Yeah. The, it was really surprising. There was a, a quite a bit of cell service on the Western side of it, but then okay. by the time I got into the Oahe Canyon, which is the far eastern, um, the last stretches, it there you drop down into a canyon and there's no communication. <laughs> so you can fall off the radar down down in that hole. But other than that, like I I was, had surprising amount of of cell reception, um, especially when I was up on the mountain in the mountain ranges. But I had been really used to hiking without a cell without a cell phone really and um but I did get a spot beacon I got I wound up getting a spot beacon um in 2011 because so I met my husband in the spring of 2011 and then 
he decided to come with me on a hike I had been planning called the Jaffe Rider Route. And it's a route that I made um, that starts in Northern California and goes to Death Valley. And so when he decided to come hiking with me, I all of a sudden had another person that I was, you know, hiking with. And I just really didn't want to have to face that choice of leaving my partner who might be injured on a trail and having to go hike out um, and get help. That's interesting. So, I just, so it wasn't really yeah. about you as much as like, if, if you would have been doing that on your own, you may not have worried about it. I don't know if I yeah. would have even thought about yeah. it. And it, but having another person, I, I wanted communication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it felt very yeah. important to me at that time. And then, since I already had the beacon and I was needing to be able to communicate with, with the, with Onda and, and my, basically my support crew for the Oregon desert trail. Um, I, I carried the beacon with me on that trail. Did your husband or at that point, um, boyfriend, fiance, did he, uh, did he come and join you for parts of it? Uh, was he able to participate as well? Yeah, yeah. Adam came out a couple of times onto the trail and he rode. We, so we, I came up with a plan for the Oregon Desert Trail. Um, by the time I got to the Oregon Desert Trail, I was <laughs> kind of done with long, long roadblocks. And I was really excited about biking some of this. Biking, mountain biking horrifies me, but it was just, it's still really fun for me. But it was this new mode of travel that I, I had, I was just getting into and hadn't explored very much. So I decided that I wanted to be able to bike some of the longer road stretches of the Oregon Desert Trail. And um, Adam really likes likes bike packing, and so he came out with me for um, a couple of those. Well, a bike packing section, and then we ditched our bikes and through hiked over the Steens Wilderness together. Oh, that sounds like a pretty awesome adventure doing that piece together. And yeah, so I, and I like that you kind of being creative in that sense of, Hey, I don't need to do this all in, you know, just walking. Right. Like, I think it's interesting, you know, to maybe think of trails in ways that we can kind of do a combination of, of things as we you know, tackle it or, or explore it and recreate on it. Yeah. I mean, there's no rules, you know, well, there's rules in wilderness areas, yes. <laughs> but, but there's no, you know, like I, I just, I really feel like looking at a route and thinking of it as that and trying yeah. to bring what fits that place best. Like, sure. You can walk for, 50 miles on a dirt road but you might have more joy on a bike (laughs) at least for me I do so I don't know I mean that's yeah and and also it really having the bike part fit this fit part of the logistical problem of carrying water for these huge unknown stretches so having a bike could increase my speed through those places and and also increase the carrying capacity of my like when I'm when I'm walking with a backpack I can carry 30 miles worth of water it's miserable but I can do it 
on a bike, I can carry almost 60 miles worth of water and it's not that big of a deal. My bike might fall over in the sand a little bit more easily, but I'm going to be able to get to that next water source and it builds in more flexibility, especially for a route like the Oregon Desert Trail that there's just so many unknowns. And is there also a rafting section um, of the trail? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> now that Rene, <laughs> so there is this, basically the Oahe Canyon and um, the West Little Oahe, so the whole eastern part of the Oregon Desert Trail, it you get through the scenes, you go through the Trout Creek Mountains, and then you hit your last resupply, well, almost it's your last real town on the trail mcdermott and then dive into this magical realm of the oahe canyon lands and once once you hit the west little oahe like up in the very top of the west little oahe i walked past these like little springs and there was like bazillions of birds and deer and i think i maybe saw a wolf um (laughs) Yeah, it was really wild and very cool up there. And you start at this little trickle and get to walk this canyon that it like turns into this maze of a canyon. And then there's these big stretches where I had to swim. And luckily for me, it was the middle of July and it was so hot. And uh, lightning storms had started up on the rims of the canyon, but I was down in the canyon, so it was a really good spot to be during these lightning storms. And it was hot, so swimming wasn't a problem. And I would come to these, like, sections where it would be dry, dry canyon bed, and I would walk through that, and then the river would pop up, and there would be, you'd have to swim. There was, like, no other ways around. It was, like, a flat canyon with with just bunches of water so it would have been nice to have a raft but <laughs> luckily I was able to I took trash compactor bags and okay. dropped all my stuff in there and my pack floated so I had like this floaty pack so that was... <laughs> and I could just like bob along through the water <laughs> so so now they might be rafting it but at that point you're you're swimming it and <laughs> In yeah, the, I, I swam the Oahe wow. <laughs> which was really fun. I I mean, my skin got, there's also a bunch of stinging nettle down there, and I'm mm-hmm. really allergic to it, and oh. so my skin was on fire yeah. in the Oahe section, but it was really fun and kind of nice and relaxing, like, every time I got to, got to just swim and not have to navigate rocks and stinging nettle and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. So did you, um, so I know you did, a you know, the GoPro kind of stuff for Onda. Um, did you do any kind of video compilation or, you know, for yourself? Did you, you know, put something together or, or journal along the way? Well, for some reason, I used to journal a lot when I first started hiking and then it just, yeah, I started hiking on the, with the Grand Enchantment Trail and mm-hmm. out in, it starts in New Mexico and goes to Phoenix in Arizona. And uh, when I first started hiking, I journaled like three times a day and I like recorded everything and it was really cool and it's so fun to look back at those, at those journals. 
And by the time I got to the Oregon Desert Trail, I just, I didn't, I just, I barely opened my journal and, but I did start learning how to do this kind of audio journal in a way, you know, with the GoPro and like talking to myself on this camera, but it's a really different quality than the, than my paper, pen and paper journal, because I felt like I was on display so much more on a camera and so I'm not going to be pouring my heart out in that full genuine way mm-hmm. on on a camera. And I I really do wish I had had like kept track a little bit more and had a little more energy for journaling um during that. And then as far as like when I got done, I I don't know. I mean every now and then I'll look back and like I'll I'll look at some watch some of the videos and stuff and see what you know, get myself back into that mode. But mostly for me, the way that I I have a big map of Oregon on mm-hmm. my wall in my living room, and I just look at that, and I can look at the places, and the memories will come back. And that's that's my way of kind of reconnecting is seeing this map. And I printed off a couple of photos from my trip, and those those little reminders can bring me back to that to those experiences on the trail I like that I I think we all have our different ways right of of kind of remembering and connecting and and uh kind of going back to our experiences and and whether it's you know you can journal you can video you can have the still photographs and I, I like that you have the map because the map just seems so essential like when you were talking about even the AT and how you were you know kind of looking at your your route and navigating so it seems like the map is also pretty special to you yeah the map I mean I love maps Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just think they're so cool and yeah they can take me to places that I haven't been yet and then the places that I have been when I look at a map especially of of Oregon or California or now kind of of Georgia and anywhere along the AT, like it's colored with memories yeah. and, and experiences. And I can feel what I can remember what the air felt like, or like when I think of Vermont now, I just think of not being able to see my feet under a giant blanket of leaves. And yeah. that's, that's Vermont for me. Yeah. And yeah, I, just, I, I really like, yeah, the maps are my ticket to go back anytime I want to go look at them. So, these days, are you looking at, um, you know, any more kind of putting together your own adventure, you know, your own new route? Are you still kind of thinking of along those lines? Does that pop into your head every now and again? You know, it, it does kind of, but I feel it's such a strange moment in my life right now where I'm not I'm not thinking about trails all the time. Mm-hmm. Like there was a period of my of my life where I couldn't stop thinking about like how I wanted to move through different landscapes. And and now I I have this great job which I'm not working right now because of COVID, but I I get to work down in the desert and look for desert tortoises and I get to go walk every day through through this desert landscape when I'm at work um, and I get to 
kind of have that through hiking feel in mm-hmm. a way where I'm constantly discovering new places and the things that live in them. And, but I'm not, I haven't really been like putting these big routes together in my mind. Well, that's not true. I have <laughs> been thinking a lot about <laughs> routes in the Mojave <laughs> and then a friend, <laughs> some friends of mine just created a route across the Mojave and I would love to go hike that. <laughs> Like I would really, really like to go walk that because yeah. it's through my other home. But uh, yeah, I was gonna say there's, it's in it's in ingrained in you. I think this route finding and adventure, and it's probably, uh, it's it's gonna pop up sooner or later of you doing uh, something else in the, you know, whether it's like you said, doing your your friend's uh, route or putting you know your own touch on it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think yeah. it'll come back at yeah. some point. But for right now, like, I bought a house and my husband and I are, like, in our house, like, doing house projects. And I'm, like, gardening and stuff. And it's just a really different, super domestic world and not this, like, nomadic mm-hmm. wild world. And it's such a, they're such opposite sometimes. And I feel very fortunate to have a job that pulls me away from my home and my domestic life sometimes and gets me outside and kind of have this like split, um, split thing. But I don't know how to fit putting in through hiking into that, into that teeter totter that I already have mm-hmm. going of going away from home for work and then back home and living this domestic life. Like, I don't know where, where I, I really don't think I could carve out four months for a hike at the moment, but even just two weeks would be fine. And I, I think those will, those littler hikes and section hikes are really, have really grown in importance in my life these days. That's where my hiking happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I definitely can relate to that kind of taking advantage of, of the moments and kind of fitting it all in, in, in the puzzles that are, are our life, you know, and all the different, uh, qualities that, uh, that present themselves in, you know, the domestic, the hiking, the, the work, all of it fitting together. Yeah. Yeah. And I do feel really thankful that I got to have a time where I just spent so much of my life, like, out in wild places walking <laughs> it was awesome it was a really cool chunk of time <laughs> well I appreciate you speaking to me today and you know sharing those experiences with me and you know and then of course with listeners so um so thank you and and how can people find out more about what you've done you know the the different hikes the um, the information you might have out there. Is there a, a website or um, account to follow? Yeah, I have a website. I haven't paid much attention to it, but it has some record of my hikes and um, sageclegg.com is where you can find me on there. And then social media is a on Instagram at sageclegg. That's a good place to check in and just see what my current adventures are and see some pictures of desert tortoises and my garden and things like that <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll put i'll put links in my show notes of course and uh and make sure to uh let people know how to check those out 
Cool. Thank you so much, Lori. It's been really a treat to get to know you a bit and have an interview, take a virtual trip to the Oregon Desert Trail. (laughs) Thanks again, Sage, for sharing your journey with me and my listeners. For ways to connect with Sage and learn more about the ODT, check the show notes. You'll also find ways to connect with me. And if you haven't left me a review yet, can you go out there to iTunes or your podcast player of choice and do that? Leaving me a review is one of the best ways to get the word out and to gain new listeners. And if you're interested in other ways to help out the show, check the show notes. You can become a patron, or you could also volunteer your time and your talents. I could always use help. So for more information, just drop me a line. So until next time, see you on the trail.